Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Enjoying the podcast? Let us know. Send a recording or written testimonial to podcast at cbeinternational.org of why Mutuality Matters matters to you, and we may feature you on an upcoming episode. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Intersectionality. I am your host, Reverend Dr. Angela Raven Anderson. And in this segment, we explore how our understanding of God and who God is calling us to be is informed at the intersection of race, gender, and religion. We examine how the combination of liberation, womanist, and egalitarian theology presents an understanding of God's kingdom that embraces, restores, uplifts, and transforms all who would enter therein. When we consider and learn from the wisdom gained in the lived experiences of women of color, our view of God's kingdom is stretched, contextualized, enriched, and expanded. So let's listen to their voices as they move us beyond the stained glass ceiling. Today, we will be focusing on the collision point of how women of color navigate the pulpit and leadership within the church. And our guest today is returning to us. Her name is none other than Dr. Jean Porter King. Dr. King, uh, Dr. Porter King is an author, business leader, inspirational teacher and speaker, ministry leader, and a board certified coach. Dr. Jean is a founder and president of Transporter Group Incorporated, a consulting practice specializing in leadership development and diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy and training. She has developed global leadership programs and has trained and coached leaders in 20, you hear me, 20 different countries. Dr. Jean has dedicated her 30-year career to helping women tap into their purpose and identity. Most recently, she authored a book entitled Influence Starts With I, A Woman's Guide to Understanding the Power of Leading from Within. She also serves as the executive pastor of Christ Community Church, uh, where she leads in the areas of her passion, which include women's ministry, leadership development, and new ministers training. Dr. Jean, welcome back. It's great to be back, Dr. Angela. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited um, for you to be with us again. And uh, thank you so much. I really am um, looking forward to our conversation. Leadership is one of those things that's a passion point for me as well. It was a focus of my uh, doctoral studies and doctoral work. So I'm so excited to have you here and to be able to really share some just um really practical information for our listeners who, who who are tuned in today. So uh, to get us started on this topic of leadership uh, and navigating these spaces of leading, um, 
both in uh, the pulpit and within the church space, shall we say, I'm going to start with a real basic question of Mm -hmm. how do you define leadership? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I actually want to pull from two or three of my books. I started writing in the leadership arena um, in 2000. My first book was published in 2000, Leading Ladies, uh, Transformative Biblical Images for Women's Leadership. And in that, I described it as a process of transformation, a process of uh, bringing people to a place um, in which Um, You know, we do what is good for the community. We work towards um, aims and goals, but it's the idea of a leader going before others and then bringing others along. Um, In my upcoming book, Leading Well, you know, at the very beginning, it's funny you should ask that, you know, we ended up putting, um, you know, working with the publisher, we put a um, definition in that I see leading as the process of influencing, making an impact and providing guidance and wisdom, whether we have a title or not. And I think that's big for Black women, especially, that many of us have been put in places in which we influence, we make a difference, we hold down churches, we put in infrastructure, and we might not have a title. But then others of us lead with a title in churches that we might have the title of um, teacher, preacher, pastor, Or in the corporate arena where we have various titles. But for me, it's always about influencing, using one's power to have impact on others for the greater good. But also as women of faith, I believe it also includes being the light and salt that Jesus called us to be, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount. And therefore, if you think about light having a penetrating effect and salt having a permeating effect, That is a leading or a leadership process of influence and transforming people, processes, and environments in which we are. Yes, that's that's so good. I I remember uh, early in my career visiting once with um, a CEO at the hospital where I was working, and we talked about leadership, and, and we talked about the difference between uh, what you would call formalized in, uh, leadership mm-hmm. that that's associated with titles and uh, what would some would call more more informal um, but that that's associated with influence and and we talked about that the fact that this idea of influence has just as much power um, often as that which is formalized and so it's very important as leaders to understand, uh, that that aspect, like you said, because it, particularly in, in a in a church situation, right? Because mm-hmm. we're working as volunteers, and mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes, if if we're if you're not on staff, you're working as a volunteer, so you may be using more of your influential leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, and when let me ask you that because um, I know in in my world, uh, I brought a lot of my leadership training from a corporate environment into um, the spaces that I was leading at, at church. Um, do you, do you believe that there is a difference in um, leadership the or the type of leadership that's required in in those spaces? I think leadership is leadership and a good leader is sensitive to the context in which she leads. And so because I do the work in both the church and uh, the corporate arena, nonprofits, 
Um, some of the skill sets are similar, but where we really make a distinction, I believe, in the church is through that spiritual component. I believe we lead from who we are. Yeah. And the clearer we are on who we are and whose we are, our leadership flows from that. And though I have led in the corporate arena and still do as a consultant, I must say my first forays into leadership was as a teenager in my church mm-hmm. and in, you know, small black church in Western Pennsylvania, family uh, oriented, family run small church. I was given, first of all, people, um, my aunts, especially, they saw something in me and they recognized a call. Mm-hmm. And though I kind of ran from it and didn't really even accept it or, you know, flow into it until after college, they saw something in me mm-hmm. and they gave all of us as young people, we had a church full of young people, they gave us opportunities to discover and use our gifts. And mine was an oratorical gift. It was, you know, the gift in the word, which is how I, you know, minister and make a living now. But I share that because I remember one of my internships um, after my, I think, junior year in or summer of my junior year, I was working for a research lab, Bell Laboratories at the time, and, you know, worked um, on this project. And at the end, they had us as young people give a presentation to senior leaders, you know, executive Mm. leaders. And I gave mine. And afterwards, one of the executives came up and said, well, where did you um, acquire that gift? And I think he was talking about the speaking gift, but also the leadership of what it took Mm -hmm. for that project. And I just looked at him and I said, in church, because (laughs) I I believe that's where it was cultivated for me, both as a call and as a vocation. And I have been walking in and um, working in that leadership arena in some um, dimension um, since that time. So you mentioned though, um, I want to kind of circle back. You were saying that um, come the the difference in the spaces has to do with this kind of spiritual component of who we are um, more so than what it is that, or as much as it has to do with with what we're actually doing. So if 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 I'm uh, leading, how do I how do I begin to cultivate that within myself? Who what what am I trying to cultivate as far as who I am? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think they're both important because what I've learned as both who you are and then what the the gifts, the competency, the skill sets, um, they're both important. Um, but the clearer one is on who she is, she can lead more authentically. And um, you build trust that way because you come to trust yourself. Others come to trust you. And again, that's the heart of influence. And again, we have entire programs that are teaching leaders to influence. But um, I think how we begin to cultivate that self-knowledge, you know, of understanding who we are, we do it through a number of ways. One is through prayer and really asking God to reveal and show us our gifts um, as the Holy Spirit um, you know, going to that well of living water and spending time there to hear, you know, God's plans and purposes and mm-hmm. how God has gifted us. 
It can also come from doing self-awareness inventory. So the more you know about your styles, your proclivities, your propensities, your likes, dislikes, your triggers. I often coach people to take, for instance, the Myers-Briggs type mm -hmm. indicator. I just did that um, inventory recently in a team development session with a group of pastoral leaders, male and female. And it was eye-opening to help that team recognize some of the personality traits that different people brought to the leadership team. And it again, that eye-opening experience is absolutely essential to come to know more and more of who we are and what God has placed in us. Mm -hmm. And you know, God has gifted us so that we can lead authentically. Too often as women of color, we show up in these places um, and often places that were not geared for us or built for us and often in what I call white spaces. And we've had to fit in. Mm -hmm. We've had to, mm -hmm. um, some have had to assimilate. Um, some have had to um, change um, how they show up so mm -hmm. that they could be accepted, but it didn't feel authentic. And um, I, can I just give a quick example? I was yeah. on a, a training session not too uh, long ago. I'm going through another training program or certification program. And it was a Zoom. And in the Zoom, Zoom gives you this opportunity. Like if you want to raise your hand, you have different skin tones. <laughs> and um, I had raised my hand and the leader passed over me and I, I raised my real hand then, my physical hand and said, oh, I, I had something to say. So another woman of color in the um, chat said, I can't, you know, I want to assume people here are good and mean well, but I can't believe they didn't see your hand. Um, mm -hmm. And I said, I know the skin tone is really, and, and not seeing it here, is emblematic of a larger issue mm -hmm. in the culture and in mm -hmm. these spaces yeah. that often women of color have either a super visibility or an invisibility. Wow. Super visibility that whatever you do is going to be spotlighted and micromanaged and 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 spotlighted or what you do, you're invisible, especially sometimes in the church. It can be an invisibility that um, it's still seen as a male domain. And so I ended up saying she said, well, that's why I have changed my hand back to the yellow. Um, so it is visible. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that because that feels like assimilation. I'm going to keep the brown hand up because that speaks to how I need to show up in these spaces. And I will help our leaders become more inclusive and help them to begin to see what they heretofore haven't seen or aren't as easily able to see. Oh, that's so I think we play a role in shifting and transforming the spaces that we're in as women and especially as women of color. Yeah. And, and when you begin to do that, even as you're beginning to bring awareness uh, in for your particular situation, it actually opens awareness for all others. Yes, ma'am. For all others as they're coming to the table. So that's yes, part of the importance of, like you said, showing up authentically um, in, in those spaces. Um, so Let's talk about this a little bit. You you kind of started to tap into um, when 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 we lead, when women lead uh, in spaces, uh, and I'm 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 going to talk about church. Okay, when we lead at church, okay. there are you know some pitfalls that sometimes we can fall into because we're there. We're always there helping, um, 
we're, you know, we've always been those to, uh, at least in my experience, I grew up in a small church as well, small black church. And um, uh, the women, you know, were very supportive of the men, although it was still very much the leadership and the decision, uh, all of that power kind of rested with, with the men folk. And mm-hmm. so they kind of led from behind and, and were influential in, mm-hmm. in the way that they led. So, uh, you know, let's kind of talk about um, how, wh- what happens when you come into spaces in a, as a female in a space that's been predominantly uh, a male space sometimes, what may be some of the pitfalls? Yeah, you know, that's an excellent question so that, you know, women who come into these spaces aren't left unaware, as Paul says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and and I call them like the barriers. And I think we have to recognize the bias and potential barriers. Um, s- some of us, again, I have, after I left my small family church, I, for the most part, have always been at larger churches, um, but saw some of the same things. So I kind of put them in a few categories that these pitfalls or barriers, um, we first of all have to talk about the structure and the system that has been created that cultivates these barriers. And some of it has to do with the culture, you know, the uh, assumption of men leading and even churches that have broken free from it and say, oh, yes, women can be pastors and preachers and teachers. Um, There's still the culture and the history of some of those, you know, patriarchal barriers that affect women. And so um, I'll give you a couple a couple of examples um, sometimes, again, I'll stay with the idea of the invisibility of um, Black women, especially. I was at a, a church uh, event, a denominational event, a different denomination. And um, at that point, the one of the leaders kind of boasted that, you know, the men of this organization, you know, lead, you know, a very powerful organization. I'm paraphrasing. And I, I unpack it a little more in my upcoming book, Leading Well. Um, But it was the belief that, you know, the structure um, of many denominations still and many local churches is that the men lead and women might be given a title, but the real leadership is of women. And in doing that and saying that and touting that, it then um, enhances the invisibility of women if there's such a thing. Um, but it also sends a message to women that they're you know, not as important. And we know the truth of most of these organizations and denominations and churches, women are the backbone, but don't always have the formal title. So I've been a firm believer of working um, for that equality or that equity to bring the title and to allow um, the structures to change so that women can advance into the same leadership roles. So even though I define leading as a process, whether you have a title or not, I do work with the structures to create because those titles help people understand where they fit into the system and the formal um, structure. And it's very important that we have that equal weight. One other quick story I'll tell you about another pitfall is that whole idea of second string leadership team. 
um, 20 years ago, probably 25 now, when I taught at a local university, one of the administrative assistants in another department came running into my office, so happy to share some exciting news. She had been listening to this, what I'll call, I'm not going to name the person, a popular Christian radio teacher, and his remarks, you know, struck her as particularly insightful. She just said, this is so great. You know, this man says that God has no choice but to call women to lead when men are not in their rightful place. Places. I responded immediately. It, first of all, I had just written the book, Leading Ladies, so I'd already unpacked this. Yes. Um, but I, I responded to her to say that suggests that God has placed women on God's second string team because of our gender. And, and I don't believe that. Right. Uh, I believe that um, God called us, knew that we were women, created us as women, gifted us. And as we like to say in CBE, God calls by gifting and right. not by gender. God right. calls by grace and gifting and not by gender. It's not limited. But that message, though that person meant well, still sends a message of second string leadership. Right. And Many women absorb that and then don't walk into the fullness of their full giftedness because they're like, oh, I'm just here by default. I'm, I'm here by accident because right. someone wasn't in their place. That's an insult both to us as women and to the men who right. are leading. Right. We both right. have a place in kingdom leadership. Yeah, that's that's true. And, you know, and it can be difficult when you're in those spaces. I remember also being in a in a group and and first woman to kind of be a part of this group. And um, one of the senior individuals in the group, um, as I sat in the room, handed me pen and paper. And um, and I was kind of struck at the moment, you know, because my thought was, well, I'm not the secretary. <laughs> you know? I'm here, but I'm not the secretary. And um so, you know, I had to, I kind of had to make a decision about how to navigate that at that, at that moment to be respectful to this person who, of course, is a, one of a senior and elder, right? Um, but also to um, understand uh, how, again, how do I show up in this space? Mm -hmm. And um, in one in which was new, I was, you know, again, first female in this space. So what did it mean to be in this, you know, in this space? But um, um, so and, and there's a you know, there was a phrase I remember one time reading about being the, the church wife. Yeah. You know, that, that you're the one that's just like the wife at the house and you're taking care of all your, it's almost as though because you're female, you're expected to be the nurturer in the environment. And, you know, that that's one of those things as well as women, when we're in these spaces, we, um, we have to navigate those, uh, those cultural, um, pieces that can be hung onto us, right. Uh, that, that change, um, the expectation again for what it is that we're here, why it is we're here, and and, and what God is calling us to do in this space. Yeah, sometimes it um, shows up as women who have a gift for teaching, only being invited to or expected to teach children. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with teaching children, and we need more gifted children's teachers. Um, but it 
might limit a woman who could be a blessing to the entire congregation, mm -hmm. um, that she's not invited to have that platform also, or teach, you know, the adult classes or the special classes. That's just, you know, an example. Um, I tell you another place where I see it show up. I watch very carefully for conferences, whether it's a local church conference, um, you know, a large multi-staff you know, mega church conference or a, a national conference, I look for the speakers mm -hmm. and I'm amazed still at some of the conferences that have all male speakers. Yeah. They yeah. might have a female psalmist. They right. might have a female worship leader, but by and large, there are still places that might have an anniversary or a conference in which there are all male speakers and teachers and preachers. And again, that sends a message that when it comes to the heavy hitting, we're still going to call out, you know, the guys, the men. CBE International presents Women in Scripture and Mission. Risking both her reputation and her very life, Mary courageously accepted God's plan to make her the teenage mother of Jesus. Throughout Mary's life, she proclaimed the deep truths of God, encouraged her son to begin his ministry, stood by him through the devastating crucifixion, and became a rock of the early church. Learn more at radiowomen.org. So one of the things I, you know, I've listening to um, women as they're even entering the spaces of vocational ministry, uh, there there is this desire to follow God wholeheartedly, right? Um, and to follow God with humility. And, and, but, is it wrong then for them also to uh, desire to to have those titles that we see our male counterparts actively pursuing without any type of um, um, concern for being considered arrogant or any of those things, overly ambitious? Um, help help us with this, Doctor. Dr. Yeah, I think that's a, a double bind. And we know the double bind is when there is an expectation placed on a person um, that is not going to be able to be met. It sends these mixed messages, mixed signals. And uh, there's a gender double bind that, you know, women who are, are strong and assertive and vocal get then labeled in a, you know, I think I teased on your podcast before we get labeled with the B word, Barracuda, mm -hmm. Barracuda, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> yeah, that's one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and then don't get the same opportunities because, you know, the label then comes down to she's not liked, she's too brash for this. You know, I know one denomination that has some senior leaders, they've broken through that stained glass ceiling and, and elevated women into leadership. But um, the women who are assertive, they get labeled a certain way that they don't play well with the guys, with the, you know, the men. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that is a dilemma because no, it shouldn't. First of all, humility, there's an expectation that women are more in the support role, men are in the strategic roles. But good leadership this day is that leaders should be both, you know, caring and supportive and strategic and directional. And so for a woman to aspire, especially if she's a vocational ecclesiastical leader, 
Um, no, if, you know, that's a, a gifting that God is giving her and it's a desire, men desire, you know, it, it shouldn't be, but the culture still says that it is. And so there's a certain way we have to show up. Um, the other thing I think about that, you mentioned humility, you know, that word humility gets bandied about with us and humility really is about inner strength. It's not about being a placemat or not speaking up and being assertive, but it is about an inner strength. But we don't always tell guys they need to be humble, you know, or they need that humility. Um, so now, based on what you just said, you know, we're talking about these pitfalls for vocational ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical leadership. And these are some of the things. Because of that, I think there are some women, myself included, that for many years lived out a vocation in the marketplace right. and did... Um, you know, ministry um, differently because mm -hmm. of those same things. When I came out of seminary, I was not going to be placed. It was years before I was placed. So I went to where I believe God led me. And I think that's also a challenge for women to be so clear on who you are that where you show up, that's ministry. Where mm -hmm. you show up, we might use different words. So we might use ethical leadership, but that's your spiritual dimension. And you show up real and true. And now in this diversity era that we're talking about inclusion with different dimensions, that spiritual and religious diversity needs to show up also. That's good. That is so good. Um, yeah, I, I I was just thinking about as you were talking, uh, you know, it's it's there there are the not only do you have these issues with um, navigating in the spaces when we're talking about developing leaders uh, it, mm. particularly from in church part of how that leader how leaders are developed is walking alongside other leaders so, and, and it's, you know, it's, and, and we see it actually in the corporate world. We have mentorship programs set mm -hmm. up within corporate environments. Um, sometimes though, for women, again, that is difficult because there one are not that many women in senior leadership positions. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes when they are, uh, it's that, it, it, you know, how, when you get to be the one and the one is there, but you, you're, you're, you may not know how to bring the others along in uh in into the space who is uh what's i'm thinking of the book when and where i enter the whole race enters Paula Giddings. yes yes so um knowing how to bring others along into mm -hmm. that space to help develop um other women in the space how, what would you suggest for a young woman or i mean any woman entering into ministry life how do they begin to uh, navigate, find someone to help them, to mentor them and to, to mm. groom them uh, for leadership? Mm -hmm. That's an excellent question. Uh, I think for ministry leadership, um, it's finding those mentors and coaches and it's uh, identifying, joining and becoming a part of some of the um, women's ministry, uh, women in ministry associations that are out there. There's one that's very popular based out of Atlanta that's run by Reverend Dr. Cynthia Hale, the Women in Ministry Conference. Yes. And she started that almost 20 years ago now as a vehicle to mentor up and coming women who didn't have a space. Um, 
Um, so that is one. And I would invite your, um, you know, your the women listening to this, um, check that particular conference out. It meets usually the third um, week of September there in Atlanta. Uh, for a few years because of COVID, it was virtual, but they're back to meeting um, in, um, um, uh, in in person. So right. that's one. Um, the second is in your city, uh, first of all, in your local church, um, if there's a spiritual uh, woman, a, you know, someone who is a proclaimer and is using those gifts, uh, reach out to her to be a mentor. And um, I give some tips on mentoring, though, that, um, you know, mentoring needs to be a kind of a two-way process. And, um, um, that the mentee is looking to the mentor to help navigate, as you said, that ministry. That mentor can't be everything for the mentee. Um, that mentor is to help that mentee navigate that ministry space, Give, um, be there to talk about how to um, break through some of the barriers, um, to pray with the person. You yeah. know, it's a discipleship role even for ministry. Um, yeah. and, and so... Um, I'm finding that, you know, these models of mentoring that we have in the corporate space, we don't have always in the church. And they're often formal structured mentoring programs in um, in the corporations that we I think we need to have more of in the church that are more formal um, that can help um, younger women coming along. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Because one of the things that I found that helped me was having uh, having a support system of other women. Mm-hmm. Um, and not feeling isolated, um, mm-hmm. but having other women that we could come together and talk. And and even when you listen to Dr. Hale, you know, there's there's a group that she has mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. kind of were have been friends um, through their journey uh, mm-hmm. as as they've grown in in their areas, even as they've led and pastored uh, their churches. And I think that is also one thing that's very important for us as women is to kind of build those support systems of like-minded women who have that same kind of focus. Totally agree. That is a great um, point to add at this point. That is so important. And I must say in my own journey, there's a cadre of close, you know, women friends um, that were also in ministry mm-hmm. that we processed the, together. We, you know, I have some that still very seasoned, but may call and um, talk about how do I handle this engagement or, you know, there's some books out there also that are very helpful to talk about how we navigate this space. And the one thing I like about this kind of current generation that's coming along, they're unabashedly (laughs) accepting the ministry call and not waiting for permission. You know, I ran from mine for the longest and mainly because I didn't have a lot of role models, didn't know my Mm -hmm. grandmother. Now, I knew that was always free to be a a minister or even a pastor. My grandmother was my first pastor. So I had a vision. But there was something about granny that I was like, I'm not trying to be that. <laughs> and um, and 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 yeah, when I did, you know, say yes, said yes, I had a group of seasoned women who also took me under their arm and um, taught me, you know, the things of the spirit and that discernment and help sharpen, you know, the gift that God had already placed in me. Well, Dr. Team, we are at the end of our time. It went so fast. Uh, I hope that you'll come back and we can talk a little bit more about this subject. I think it's one of those areas that 
uh, from a very practical standpoint is, is um, one of the things I noticed uh, in, in my journey was that more and more women, just like you said, young women, uh, answering the call much younger in life and stepping in. And, and even when we look at seminaries, uh, the largest yes. population of, of uh, or largest demographic entering in seminaries are, are women of color. Yes. And so what does that mean? You know, that that's an exciting thing for then what happens after seminary and what are their expectations and how do they move into those spaces? Like you said, with, with great boldness and confidence. Mm -hmm. um, so as we close today, I guess I would just ask you then, what, what would you tell someone um, that is new who, who is saying, I know that God has placed these gifts in me. And uh, I, I want to grow in that area, the, the gifts of leading and um, and even preaching and pastoring. How, how do what would you tell a young woman in that space for how do I uh, I develop in that area? Yeah. And depending on the stage or where she is, I'd have her um, number one to reach out to seasoned women that can, you know, be there to give some advice, whether it's in our own church. And this is going to sound harsh, and I know it's hard to leave um, one's church, but find places that's going to celebrate that, and you don't have to kind of fight and to prove. We're past the stage of women in ministry of having to prove wow. what God has already wow. That's good. Put God's hand on, right? That's so good. Yes. Um, look at getting um, the proper education and training. So explore the seminary that would be best for you, the region, you know, the approach. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of resources and support there with um, seminary training. Um, but go for it and follow that call wherever God may lead. And for those, that's for those that feel a, a call to pastoring and vocational um, ministry on a, perhaps a staff at a church. There's others that may feel a call to lead mm -hmm. that may or may not be in a church. So again, you want to cultivate those leadership gifts by getting um, the training, by recognizing the gifts that are within you and getting, again, that support that can help you then navigate, you know, where you're going. Nowadays, it's less about so many women are leaving the corporate space, especially after COVID, um, the pandemic, but many are trying to launch businesses. Right. Uh, many right. are. And for me, that is as important for us to help women and especially women of color do that and do it in a way that they're able to shine and be all that they're called to be. Yes. That it is a type of ministry for yes. them. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, Dr. King, Thank you so much again for uh, joining us today. And uh, for those who've tuned in as well, thank you. And as we enter the new year, you guys, there's going to be more and more new weekly episodes from our incredible team of co-hosts. But in the meantime, go to the show notes and learn how you can follow and support the new members of our podcast family. And be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. You can also go to our website on www.cbinternational.org for even more content, including sub subscribing to our blog, magazine, and academic journal. 
there are videos to watch and, and um, opportunities to listen to audio from past conferences and events. And you can even visit the bookstore where you can find a ton, and I do mean a ton, of talented authors like Dr. Porter King and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. Well, I am Reverend Dr. Angela Raven Anderson, and I would like to thank London. Always got to give a shout out to London, our support tech, our support tech and the entire team at CBE that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thank you so much for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.